How sweet the sound. Saved a wretch like me. Who said that? (laughs) Oh, yeah, I thought you were talking about me. You'd be right in in this case. I understand. I I am so thankful for the grace. Unmerited favor. Undeserved favor in, uh, in my life. If not but for the grace of God, uh, I would be as lost as anybody in this world could possibly be. If, I, if you have your Bibles, let's turn to James chapter 1. The book of James chapter 1. What I want to talk to you about this morning for just a little bit of time is uh, the struggle of temptation. Do you struggle with temptation? Well, of course you do. <clears throat> well, I don't know. Maybe maybe not. Uh, one guy said, uh, no, I don't struggle with temptation. I just give in to it. <laughs> I, guess that's, I guess that's one way to deal with it, but I'm not so sure it's a very, very good one. Uh, temptation is everywhere. Uh, I don't know what yours are. And certainly they are probably different than mine. Uh, there is a sin which doth so easily beset all of us, and I believe that, that that particular sin is the same for all of us. I believe that it's the arrogance, the pride, uh, the self-indulgence of mankind, you know, the arrogance that thinks that we are the center of the world rather than God being the center of the world. And certainly He should be not only the center of the universe, the center of the world, but He should be the center of our hearts and our thoughts and our minds. But uh, we all have different types of temptations as well. Mine's not yours and yours is not mine. And uh, the question is, is how do, you, how do you handle that temptation? Now, I remember the old hee-haw Show. I loved that television show when I was a kid. Still comes on. Still has reruns on some channels. And I remember old Doc. Somebody come in there one day and says, Doc, I, I broke my arm in two places. And he says, well, don't go in them places. Amen. <laughs> stay, stay away from them. And that's all fine and good until we find out that them places ain't out there somewhere. Them places are in us that that's where our temptation originates. It doesn't come from the devil. It doesn't come from the world. It comes from the flesh, amen, the old nature that lives on the inside of us. And even though I know that Jesus Christ gave up heaven, went to the cross, lived a sinless life, and went to the cross, shed His blood and died to set me free from the bondage of sin, even though I've been set free as the song you just said. Boy, I love that. To know that I have been set free. And that sin has no more rule over my life. But the old nature has not been eradicated. It's not been done away with. Certainly, we have to wake up every morning realizing that I'm still a sinner. I'm still a sinner and there's still temptation. There's still the old flesh. There's still the old nature. There is still the world, the enemy of Christ and Satan, the arch enemy. 
And uh, of course, the worst enemy is the one that lives on the inside of us. Our old nature, he lives in us. And we have to... Uh, we have to battle that. We have to struggle. We have to wrestle. We have to fight against that. Unless we're like the guy that says, no, I don't wrestle. I don't struggle with sin. I just simply yield to it. And uh, I'm just saying that we as Christians, we as true believers in Christ, we don't have that option. We don't have that option. We may sometimes, and I'm certainly guilty, that sometimes I just cave. I just fold like a, you know, a, a wet cardboard box. But... Most of the time, we as true Christians are struggling and striving and fighting against the flesh and against temptation. Many of those, of course, don't come from Satan, don't come from the world. They come from our own hearts. In Romans chapter 7, verse 19 and 20, talks about that. There are, there's something already inside of us. And that, of course, is that flesh, the old nature that calls from inside of us to draw us away from faithfulness and holiness and righteousness and godliness. Uh, we've all had the experience of having those temptations and desires and us answering them not positively, which would be to resist and to reject and to say no, but really negatively in submitting and surrendering our lives to Him. We've all failed. We've lived up to our own standards rather than the standards of God. And, and uh, is, it, is it possible, really, for us to resist temptation? Well, I think so. I think the Bible teaches that I can do all things through Christ, which lives in me. I can live the life that God has called me to live. And if so, can I successfully resist temptation on a on a, a continuous in a continuous lifestyle instead of just every once in a while you know the the old saying even old blind sow finds an acre and every once in a while well i overcame a temptation good every time you overcome a temptation certainly you become stronger and it's easier to resist that temptation the next time than it was the last time but more than often, we cave to those temptations and then it becomes easier for us to cave the next time rather than it was the previous time. We should set an example to the world around us, our family, my wife. You know, I went to that funeral, my aunt, and there were so many people there. I got to stand up and share a testimony about my experience throughout my life with uh, Aunt Tini and what an impact she had had in my life. And I know that it wasn't just her example of the lifestyle that she lived in front of me, but I also believe that it was because of her prayers for me when I really wasn't even worthy of her prayers. When I didn't deserve her help, I didn't deserve her love, I didn't deserve her opening her doors of her home to me, I certainly didn't deserve her prayers, yet she gave them to me every time. Every time, without, without question. And that had an impact in, our, in my life. And I, I know that we can have that same impact in our loved one's life, in our family's life, in our friend's life, just by being Christ-like, by submitting to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and resisting the temptation that comes from the flesh, the world, and of course, 
Satan. Well, I want you to look at uh, verses 1 through 8, and then we're going to skip down to 12 through 16. James chapter 1, verse 1 reads like this, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. Now, <clears throat> a lot of people tell me, well, this is written to the nation of Israel. It's written to the twelve tribes of the nation of Israel, and they're scattered abroad, and this is not to us, even though it's in the New Testament. And I say, nay, nay, that is not true. Certainly, we are considered the children, the household of God. These of the twelve tribes of the nation of Israel that James is writing to that were scattered abroad are certainly those who had come to faith in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. They're not part of just the blood lineage of Abraham, but they were part of the faith of Abraham. And then verse 2 says this, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Now there is a difference between falling into temptation and walking headlong into it. Amen. Sometimes, uh, like I said, the temptation isn't just coming from within us. The temptation is out there and we need to stay away from them places. As it said in Hee-Haw, we need to make up our minds and make a determination in our hearts and our minds that we're not going to allow us ourselves to go to the places and do the things that we used to do, no matter what the temptation in our hearts and in our minds are. It says, my brethren, count it all joy. Really, who is it that can count it joy when you fall? You see, not walk headlong, but when temptation comes your way, and you see it and you recognize it. You understand it for what it is. And you say to yourself, Self, no, I'm not going to do that anymore. Then of course we should count it as joy when we fall into those temptations and overcome them. Because, well you look at verse 3, we know that the trying of our faith works patience. Now I hear people all the time say, pray for me for patience. And I say, okay, I'll be glad to, but I want you to know what you're getting yourself into, all right? Because when I pray that God gives you patience, what I'm praying for is that God gives you tribulation. Because it is tribulation and heartache and sorrow and, and even temptation and enduring that temptation that works patience in your life. Now if you want, if you want, Patience, then you joy in tribulation. Because it is the tribulations that come into our lives. Not just the temptations, but the tribulations that go along with temptation that makes us stronger. It's like what don't kill you, you know, makes you stronger. And then verse 4 says, but let patience have her perfect work. That you may be perfect and entire, wanting or lacking nothing. But if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not. And it shall be given unto him. Now one of the reasons that trials and tribulations and temptations do not have her perfect work in our lives is because we are not allowing those things to accomplish what God gives them to us for. We resist, we cave, we give in, we fall to the temptation rather than standing strong and resisting and becoming 
more and more Christ-like, conformed to the image of God, we become more and more worldly-like. And I believe that that's ultimately what is wrong with the church in the world today. Not just in you know our particular circumstance, but I'm talking about the universal church around the world. That we are becoming more and more worldly rather than the world becoming more and more godly. And one of the problems with that is, is our failure as a church. Our failure as individual Christians to live up to the standard of God's calling in our life. And when He sends us through the fires of trials and tribulations and temptations, rather than purging the sin and making us stronger and getting rid of the dross and making us more pure like gold, we become more porous. We become more uh, flawed. We become more worldly in our lifestyle. If those things are happening in your life, in your home, in your family, then the Bible says if any of you lack wisdom, you do realize that it is a lack of wisdom that causes that. There's a difference between knowledge and wisdom. Knowledge is information gained. I'm giving you information right now. You're hearing it. It's going inside your computer called a brain. You're kicking it around. You're swallowing some of the watermelon and kicking out uh, the seeds and And I hope that you don't get that backwards because a lot of people do. They'll let it go in. They'll kick it around in their brain, in their computer. And rather than swallow the watermelon and spit out the seeds, they swallow the seeds and spit out the watermelon. And they walk away more determined to do what it is that they want to do rather than what it is that God commands for us to do. There are no requests in the Bible for us to be holy and to be righteous. These are all commandments it's not a request from god for us to resist the devil and he'll flee from us it's a commandment it's not a a a request uh, for us to to grow stronger and to overcome temptation in our life it is a commandment and if any of you lack wisdom let him ask god that giveth all men liberally and upbraideth not and it shall be given to him but oh listen When you ask, ask not amiss. You remember what that verse is. When you ask, you have not because you ask not. And when you ask, you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your own lust. So when we go to God and we ask for what we want, we're not asking for what we need. We ask for what we want that we may consume it upon our own lust. And rather than growing stronger, we grow weaker. And it's easier for us to resist the truths of the Word of God. It's easier for us to cave to the temptations of this life than it was before. So if any of you lack wisdom, ask God, but let him ask, verse 6, in faith nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind, tossed to fro with every wind of doctrine. In verse 7, says, for let not that man think that he will receive anything from the Lord. Well, let me, let me say this. Let not that man think that he will receive what he asks for. You're going to receive something from God. If you ask, even if you ask amiss, you're going to get something back for your effort. But if you're asking amiss, you will not get what it is that you're asking for. But if you are a child of God, then you will receive that trial and tribulation and persecution. Remember, I've been kind of harping on this lately. <clears throat> we as Christians, now if there's anybody lost in this world, I'm not talking to you. 
but, but certainly you need to listen. We as Christians don't pay for our sins in this life. God never punishes you for your sins in this life. Why? Because they've already been punished. They've already been paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. And He doesn't punish and demand payment from His Son, Jesus Christ, and then double you know, uh, jeopardy us by making us pay for some of them in this life. But He will snatch you through a keel. Well, that's punishment. He's punished me. No, He's not. He's chastising you. And certainly we as the children of God, we should... What did it say about this temptation in verse 2? My brother counted all joy when you fall into diverse or different temptations. You should, fall, you should count it joy when the chastening hand of God is in your life, not because He's punishing you, but because He loves you and because He is trying to get you back on the straight and narrow, back living the life that He has called you to live. Let not that man think that he shall receive anything uh, other than the gracious chastening of the hand of God in his life. A double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. Now you skip down to verse 12 and it says this, Blessed is the man that endureth those trials and tribulations and temptations. Not every temptation is just the, the hook with a worm on it dangled in your face by the devil to try to get you to sin against a holy God and you get caught and you get hooked up in the things of the flesh and the things of the world. But listen, what we're talking about here, certainly God will allow the devil to do that. We see that in Job. We see that in a lot of places in the Bible where God uses Satan to bring the chastisement from the hand of God. But God, the Bible says, when you're tempted, say not that I'm tempted of God, for God is neither tempted nor tempteth he any man to sin. But when God tempts you, what he is doing is trying you or sending you through that fire to bring about a holiness that sometimes only purging can bring. It says, Blessed is the man that endureth that temptation, for when he is tried, you see, that temptation is a trial. It's not a punishment. He shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love Him. Let no man say when he is tempted of God, or when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth He any man. But every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust has conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And when sin is finished, it bringeth forth death. Do not err, my beloved brethren. Now there's some steps. There's some steps here. I want you to follow along with me. We've got 15 minutes. But the first step to overcoming temptation in our life and winning this battle, winning this struggle, is first of all, verse 13 says, we have to expect it. Are you ready every day for the temptations that come your way? If you're not, you're not living with your eyes open. You're living with a blindfold on. We're living a life that, that says, well, sin in others this I see, but thank the Lord there's none in me. And I don't really run into any temptations in my life. Well, one of the reasons we may not be running into temptations in our life is because we don't see them as temptations. We, like the other man said, I just cave every time things come along. I do what I want to do. 
But my friend, listen, we as Christians realize that we've got to expect the enemy of our souls, the enemy of heaven, the enemy of the church, the enemy of the Word of God to come against us every day. We've got to make preparation ahead of time before those temptations come. We've got to realize that it's going to happen. It's going to happen. And we've got to expect it. And we've got to prepare for it. If we're going to successfully handle temptation, we must realize that it's going to happen to me. And it's going to happen to me nearly, if not assuredly, every day of my life. Do you sin every day? Yes. Why? Because I was tempted to sin. Why? Because I have an old nature living on the inside of me. And it's something that is easily and readily readily usable by the enemy of our souls, Satan. And he can come to us under disguise and we not recognize what's really going on. When the fish swims up to the hook and he looks at the worm, he doesn't realize there's a hook there. And when we're, as Christians, swimming along in the world and we see things that are uh, you know, tantalizing and appetizing to the flesh... And we let our guards down if we ever had our guards up and simply reach out and grab it and enjoy, you know, the gusto. Go for the gusto. You only go around once in this life, I believe, was the old Miller commercial. But my friend, I want you to realize something. That there is a price. There is a hook in that worm. There is a price to pay for when we just simply surrender to the temptation. We should never be surprised. When those temptations come our way. The second thing we need to understand is not only that it's universal. Every man, woman, boy and girl on the face of the earth that calls themselves by the name of Christ is going to experience temptation. We must be prepared for that. But the second thing is that it's inevitable. There's no way that it's not going to happen to you. Is going to come to every person that goes by the name of Christ. And then lastly, I want you to realize that it's, it's very personal. The temptations that Satan uses, remember what I said, that certainly um, there's a sin which doth so easily beset all of us. There's a temptation in that. That's that old nature. That's the pride of life that, that raises up its head in our lives. But when it comes to, to temptation to sin, that, that's, that's different in every person's life. And we need to realize that Satan knows us better than we know ourselves. He watches us. He listens to us. He is an unseen guest, if you will, of every conversation, every television show, every telephone call. Everything that we do in our lives, the demonic world around us is aware of who we are really behind the mask. You know, the Halloween mask that people wear. They put on this nice, pretty outfit, and, but behind the mask, it's, it's full of dead men's bones. And we realize that we are sinners. Satan realizes that we have an old nature and that we have something deep down inside of us that is readily available to him to work with. It's like putty for him to draw out who we were before we came to Christ. Well, we've got to expect it. 
Secondly, we've got to analyze it. What was the source of the temptation? People tell me, well, I hear, I hear voices in my, in my head. And sometimes I'm not sure where they're coming from. And I have that problem myself. We realize that the voices inside of our head, they either come from one of four places. They're either uh, from the devil, from God, from the world, television, radio, friends, whatever, or they're from us. Very rarely do we have private thoughts that originated with us. Even the thoughts that come from us, they really were spurred by things that take place in our life. But one of the things that we can realize is that it doesn't matter where it comes from. Was it good? Was it holy? Was it righteous? Was it godly? Or was it wicked? Was it sinful? Was it tempting to, to be uh, unrighteous or unholy or sinful in the eyes of God? Then if it comes, if, it, if it's sinful, if it's not righteous, then I know it didn't come from God. Therefore, it's a seed and I should spit it out. If it is a holy, righteous, good thought, then I know it didn't come from Satan. It either came from the world, from myself, or from God Himself. But it doesn't matter because it's good. And I can accept it and receive it and act on that. So we have to analyze when we are tempted. What does the Bible say? When you are tempted, you look at these these verses. Verse 12, Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Let, man, let, let no man say that when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for he cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he every man, uh, any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust. When tempted, no one should say, well, hey, I was tempted by God. To do something wrong. Why? Because God cannot be tempted, neither tempteth he any man to sin against him. It begins with the inward desire. It's our own evil desire that comes from our heart. The heart of the matter is a matter of the heart. And when Satan looks into our hearts, into our minds, into our lives, and he realizes those weaknesses and those temptations, then he reaches into our minds, into our hearts, which is the soul of man, the mind, the will, and the emotions, and he draws out those things that are already welled up on the inside of us. Our desires are powerful. Our lust, when we're drawn away of our own lust. And it bringeth forth sin. And the Bible says when, when lust is finished, it bringeth forth sin. When sin is finished, it bringeth forth death. So it all starts with the heart. The heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. And when our heart is lustful, our heart desires when we want the things. Listen, it's a natural, it's a natural thing for humanity to, to want the, the desires of the flesh. But it's unnatural for the Christian to cave to them. For us to submit and surrender our lives readily. We've got to analyze it and realize that it comes from within us. I looked up a verse in John chapter 14 and verse 30. And I read it and I said, wow, that's, that's powerful. And then I said, but there's more to it than that. So I looked it up in the Amplified version of the Bible. And it reads like this. John chapter 14 verse 30. It says, I will not speak with you much longer. For the ruler of this world, 
course, we know that is Satan. He's the little g-god of this world. I will not speak with you much longer, says Christ, for the ruler of this world, Satan, is coming. And he has no claim on me. Literally, the King James Version says, he hath nothing in me. That is, in my flesh, in my body, in my soul, in my mind, will, and emotions. Satan is coming and he has nothing to work with in me. Would to God I could say that. That's why Christ was sinless. And that is exactly why I am sinful. That means when he says he has no claim on me, nothing in me, that means no power over me, nor anything that he can use against me. Can any of us say that there's nothing in me that Christ can use? Or there's nothing in me that Satan can use? Well, listen, both of those things certainly are untrue. There is something in me that Christ can use, and that is the power of the Holy Spirit. That is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. The Bible already teaches us that. That when I am lost, when I am separated from God, that is in me dwelleth no good thing. Because I am lost, I am dead, I am separated from God. But if God is living on the inside of me by the power of the Holy Spirit, then God has something in me to work with. And I can do all things through Christ. One of the things that I can do, all things that I can do, is resist the devil, he will flee from me, and I can overcome temptation in my life. But listen, I still have, unlike Christ, I still have the old nature. There is something in me that Satan can use. And it leads to deceptions. And listen, I want you to realize that I I can... Fool some of the people some of the time, all the people some of the time, some of the people all the time, but I can't fool God any of the time. But I can I can fool myself. Have you ever tried to deceive yourself? Make yourself think something that you know ain't right? And then act on it? I have. I got good at it. I could tell myself, oh, it's okay. It's really not that bad. Everybody's doing it. You see, we we literally can lie to ourselves, deceive ourselves. Sometimes we can lie to ourselves when we can't lie to anybody else. Anybody else look at you and say, what? That don't make no sense. Get out of here. But we hear it and we say, okay, why? Because we know what we want to hear. And we tell ourselves, we feed the flesh. We feed the old nature. And we make it okay. To do the things that we know deep down in our hearts. If we are Christians and have the Holy Spirit of God living on the inside of us. We tell ourselves that it's okay to do things that we know is wrong. Is wrong. And then it winds up costing us. When lust is finished, it bringeth forth sin. When sin is finished, it bringeth forth death. Another truth about temptation is that it results in that fall, that stumble. When we fall into temptation. Not walk headlong into it. But see, when we go and we're trying our best to do right and to do good, and all of a sudden a temptation comes along and blindsides us, and we, even though we stumbled into it, it still results in disobedience. 
Do you understand that whether I walk into it knowingly or whether I stumble in it unknowingly, it still is sin and we need to confess and repent and get up. It's not just confession. Oh, I listen, Lord, I didn't mean to do that. You know I didn't mean to. I, I stumbled. I fell. And all of sin comes short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. And I'm not trying to make an excuse for what it is that I am or what it is that I did. I'm asking that you would forgive me and strengthen me and help me not to do that again. No harm, no foul. There's not a consequence. God forgives us. For if we confess our sin, He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But if we stumble or if we walk headlong purposefully into sin, and we do not confess and do not repent. My friend, it doesn't matter whether you walked into it purposefully or whether you stumbled in it. Without repentance, there's a consequence. It's not punishment. It's chastisement. And sometimes they feel the same. It hurts. God reaches through a keyhole and grabs us by the neck and drags us through to the other side. Sometimes the keyhole keeps getting smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller and dragging more and more and more meat off of our bones on the other side of the door until finally it hits the right size keyhole and He sets us up and we're back on the right path again. But boy, it hurts. It hurts. It costs. It costs us more than we want to pay. It keeps us longer then we want to stay. That's what sin does in our life. Well, finally, you know, ultimately, if we don't repent, if we, if we don't confess, if we're not brought back into the way, straight is the gate, narrow is the way that leads to righteousness. Few there be that find it, but broad is the gate, wide is the road that leads to death. Death. And if it ends in death, there's only two things. That we were a Christian that was unrepentant and there is a sin unto death for we who are called by the name of Christ. God says, I will not allow you to keep living in sin. I chasten you. I chastise you. And you reject and reject and resist and continue to rebel. Then I will take you out of this world. Or we find out once we're taken out of this world, that we really weren't on the straight and narrow ever to begin with. Depart from me, for I never, not I knew you and you fell and wouldn't get up and wouldn't get right and you lost your salvation. You No, there's none of that. Eternal, eternal salvation, eternal life is indeed eternal. My friend, if we're living in sin and unrepentant and will not correct our course, then God has no choice. Ultimately, he, he lets the tares and the wheat grow up together inside the kingdom of God. He will separate that at the end of the judgment day. If we tried to separate it, of course, we would root up some of the wheat. But God says, no, I will not allow any of the wheat to wound up being burnt. But I also will not allow any of the tares to wind up in the kingdom of heaven, in the kingdom of God. You look at the rest of these verses and we'll close. We'll start in verse 14 and read through 16. It says, But every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. 
Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. When sin is finished, it bringeth forth death. And that is true in Christians or unchristian, lost or saved. I'm telling you that if you're a saved person and you uh, lust brings forth sin and God chastens you and you don't repent and get your life right and he you to, continues to scald you and to spank you and to try to correct you and you reject it, it will wind up in physical death, not spiritual death. But for a lost person, it says this, but every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust. And when lust has conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And when sin is finished for a lost person, it winds up bringing forth eternal damnation. Separation from God. Spiritual death. One is physical death. When the inside of the person separates from the outside of the person, that separation from spirit and body, that is physical death. But separation from God, that is spiritual death. And it cannot be corrected. If you cannot be corrected here in this life, as a Christian, God will take you out of this world and bring you home. But if you will not be corrected as a lost person, when you ultimately leave this world, you will be separated from God for eternity, forever and ever. And it's, it's so readily visible in our lives. Hereby do we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He that saith I know him and keepeth not his commandments is a liar and the truth's not in him. You shall know them by their fruit. Their fruit of the spirit. Love, joy, peace, long suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Or the fruit of the flesh. Emulations. Bitterness. Wrath. Hatred. Variance. All of those things that we see in the world. Verse 16 says this. Do not err. My beloved brethren. That's simple. Don't make an error that you cannot correct later. Because once you do that, it's hopelessly too late. The final step in this process of dealing with temptation is to reject the temptation. To turn away from Him. James tells us that in verse 16. Don't err. Don't fall. Don't give in. Don't cave. Don't submit to the flesh. To the things of the world. In other words, don't fall for the bait. It looks good. It might have a chunk of ribeye on it. Or it might have a big juicy worm. But still, it's covering up a hook that will destroy you in the end. How can, how can it be wrong? You remember that. I think there's a song that says that. If loving you is wrong, I don't want to be right. How can, it, how can it be wrong when it feels so right? My friend, wrong is wrong. doesn't matter how it feels. It doesn't matter how good it looks. 1 Corinthians 10.13 And you'll have the message. There hath no temptation taken you but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able. Now listen, I hear people all the time say, God ain't going to put more on me than I can handle. Let me tell you something. God puts more on you every day than you can handle. And if it ain't by the grace of God that we handle it, we'll cave to everything that comes along. We'll miss every window, every opportunity. 
This verse does not say that. It says there hath no temptation taken you, but such is common to man. Whatever the temptation that comes along, man, people have been dealing with that ever since mankind has been on the planet. But temptation, there hath no temptation taken you, but it's common to man. But God is faithful who will not suffer you to be uh, tempted above that you are able. But God will with every temptation also make a way. He doesn't say two ways, five ways, ten ways, but a way. It's like a train coming by and you're standing on the side and you see a door open on one of the boxcars and you're trying to time it just right to jump and hit that door as it goes by. You jump too fast, you jump too late, you miss the door. What do you do? Get up and catch the next one? You're not guaranteed there is one. You'd better catch the one that comes along the first time. God says that He will make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. Whatever that temptation is, whatever the trial, whatever the tribulation, whatever the heartache, whatever the sorrow, whatever it is that you're going through, God says, I will not put more on you than you can bear by the grace of God. But He will make a way. You see, it's not us. God's not going to overload us that we can't stand it. Certainly He'll overload that we can't stand it. But He will not overload us that He in us. I can do all things through Christ. But if I'm not, if I'm not living for Christ, if I'm caving every time temptation comes along, I'm not struggling, I'm not fighting, I'm not wrestling with my temptation. I'm just simply submitting to it and enjoying my life. We'd better take our spiritual temperature. Find out if I even know Him. Do you know Him? Do you love Him? You see, that's what it boils down to. Do you love God? Do you love Christ? Do you love Him more than the things of the flesh? The more than the things of the world? Are there things that are more important to you? Than the things of God. Well, what I, I don't know. What do you mean by that? What are the things of God? Well, anything that has to do with God. Is there anything in this world that's more important to you than the Word of God? Is there more important things to you in the world than the house of God? The people of God? The life that God has called us to live? Are we willing to let those things go that we might enjoy the things of the flesh? And then think that God will be waiting on us when we come back. Let's pray. Father, we love You. We love You only because You first loved us. Forgive us, God, for our sin. And God, we're not just asking forgiveness so we can get up and continue doing the things that we ask forgiveness for. But God, we ask that You'll forgive us in order that we might be brought back in to faith with You. Faithfulness to You. God, we'll give you the praise and the glory for what that that chastisement has done in our lives. God, if there is no chastisement, there is no conviction, there is no trial or tribulation, there is no temptation, everything that comes along, it's just another opportunity for us to enjoy ourselves. Then God, help us, help us to realize the deadness of our soul. And we'll give you the praise for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.